Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. Father, we, we're so very grateful this morning. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Uh, let's just thank him for Jesus. We, we're thankful for Jesus. Father, we will never get over the fact that you sent Jesus to save us. And he saved us from your wrath. He saved us from our sins. He saved us from ourselves. He saved us from the world. He saved us from the enemy. Oh, Father, there's so much in that salvation. He saved us from sickness and disease and poverty and, and disform, um, um, just relationships that are, are unhealthy. I thank you that we will not really fully understand all that took place, but I thank you that what we do know, we do rejoice in that, and we worship you. Just open your mouth, people of God. We worship you. We praise you. We welcome the Holy Spirit here, for he is here, and we welcome him, he who is greater in us than he that is in the world. Holy Spirit, help us to, to be receivers. Help us to worship the Father. Help us to worship the Son. We worship you, Father. We worship you, Jesus. There is none greater than yourself. There is no one like you. You sit high and you look low. And we thank you. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus who, that has been applied to our lives by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that the grace of God delivered us from ourselves and deliver us from the enemy and deliver us from the wrath to come, deliver us from sin. Oh, we're so very grateful that we're no longer under sin. Sin is no longer our master and that we, we're no longer, the, the flesh no longer rules us, but that we are ruled by this new nature, the born again spirit that we have been made in your image. And in your likeness, we worship you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We, we don't know how to worship as we ought. Holy Spirit, help us to be worshipers. Teach us how to worship. Teach us how to worship. Shipwreck our understanding of what worship is. And help us to worship in spirit and in truth. We worship you. We praise you. We glorify you. There is none like you. You are Father. You are Master. You are Savior. And we thank you. We praise you. Grant unto your people the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of your power towards them that believe? Father, deliver these, your people, from strange women, from strange men, unreasonable and wicked men, men who are not people of faith. Give them wisdom. Give them sound judgment in making relationships and friendships. Father, dethrone what is upon the throne that should not be there. We dethrone flesh. We dethrone um, our, the worldly mindset. And we embrace the mind of Christ. 
We say that Jesus is the only one who sits upon the throne of our hearts. And we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. We praise you. Holy Spirit, you're the greatest teacher there is, so I'm asking you to teach through me. I stand in the office that you've called me to with boldness, with clarity, with, by grace, as a teacher in the body of Christ. And I step in that office, and as a pastor, I step in that office, teach and preach through me. Pastor your people, shepherd your people through me. I receive that gift. I step into it by grace and faith that I may be your mouthpiece to these, these your people. Give them ears to hear. May they hear with fresh ears. May they see scriptures with fresh eyes. May their hearts be receptive to the word of God. Grant unto me your son and your slave supernatural divine utterance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The fruit of your salvation. I've said this many, many, many a times before. I want you to hear it with fresh ears. Uh, the most dangerous place to be is to actually believe you're saved when you're not. Um, let's let let. The Bible tells us to examine our self to see if we're in the faith. And I think that there's, there's, there's going to be a group of people that go to Matthew 7. There's going to be a group of people who's going to stand before the Lord, and the Lord is going to turn them away. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be in that category of people where the Lord turns away. And so we're going to talk about the fruit, of your, the fruit of your salvation. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let's stop there. So there is a group of people who's familiar with the Lord, that the fact that they call him Lord. And the word Lord is mentioned over 6,000 times in the Bible, and that word simply means master. And I know sometimes we don't like to hear that, but when we get saved, Jesus becomes our master. That's a sobering thought, right? That we're, we, don't know, we don't belong to ourselves. And someone questioned me a while back, um, why do you pray, say that, Lord, I thank you, I'm your son and your slave? You know, and they kind of, you know, I don't know where they were coming from, but we are called to be slaves of God and slaves of Jesus. Do y'all know that, right? You know, perhaps we need to teach about that, but we are slaves to God. He, he is our master. Jesus is our master and God is our father. And there is an element. See, sometimes what we do is we focus on one attribute of God. And if you're not careful, you can lift up that attribute as if that's the only attribute he is. I'm going to give you an example, love. We know that God is love. First John tells us that. And outside of First John, we don't see that in any other scripture as, as explicit as that. And God is love, but if that's the only attribute that you lift up from God, you'll miss who God is. He's not just love. He's judge. He's king. He's sovereign. He's ruler. 
He's master. So these are other. So when you pray, just don't pray that he is your, our father, but he's also God, right? He's father God. He, he can tell us what to do. He's, he's ruling and reigning. He's turning our hearts towards him. He's, he's, and Jesus is knocking at our door constantly. And so don't just focus on one attribute, of, one attribute of God, but understand what the scripture says through Genesis to Revelation and understand who he is and embrace that. And so this group of people, they're standing before the Lord. Oh, well, in other words, they are familiar. And Jesus is saying to them, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. Not just one time, but they're familiar with him. Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he tells us the qualification to get to heaven. But he says, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And so the only way that you and I are going to go to heaven is we do the will of God. Now, that's a little bit different than some of the gospels that we're hearing today, right? Uh, of just receive, you know, you know, just say this prayer and, and that's it. But you if you're really born again, there is a desire to do the will of God. There is a desire to do the will of God. And so you have to examine, am I really sold out to the will of God? I know there's some people who preach a gospel of, they'll say that, you know, you can receive him as Savior and not Lord. Not true. Not true. That is a, a faulty ideology that has been floating in the body of Christ for the last 40 to 50 years. The scripture knows no such thing as him being your savior and not your Lord. He is Lord and savior. You can't have one and not the other. Oh, I have received Jesus as my savior, but I haven't made him my Lord. That, that doesn't make sense. The part of the uh, requirements to be born again is you confess Jesus is Lord, right? <laughs> and so, so without that confession and that embracement of him being the master, then there is no salvation taking place. You just have human religion. It says, Lord, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of the, the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So there has to be a desire in your heart. So one of the indicators that you're born again, what is, one of the fruit that you're born again is that you have a desire to do the will of God. There is something in you that wants to do the will of God. You may not be where you want to be in God, but you have a desire to be that, in that place. And that should be a desire, a, a hunger to do the will of God. But not only a desire, but there should be an execution of that will. Every day you have an opportunity to do the will of God. Every single day. So many times we pray in our, our settings and we, Lord, let your will be done. And uh, Lord, have your way in this service as if this service is the only place that his will can be done. But when you leave here, when the sermon is gone, um, when the sermon is over and when the, when the encounters are gone, what do you have? You have that mundane Monday morning that you got to deal with. You have an opportunity to do the will of God first thing on Monday morning. Or even before you get into the car, you have an opportunity to do the will of God. So don't just pray for the will. Do the will. Seek the will, but do the will. Execute the will. Because if you cannot get today back if you miss the opportunity to do the will. Amen. And unfortunately, there's some Christians who will stand before God and he's going to um, Christians, not unbelievers, but Christians who will stand before God and they will make it in. 
but there'll be no reward. Have you know that scripture that says many, many will cry. Um, he'll wipe away our tears. These are believers. God's going to wipe away our tears. Why? There, I believe that part of it, part of it is that we're going to look back on our lives and say, man, I could have did this. I could have did that. And perhaps first Corinthians, let's go there. I'm not at training ground, a.k.a. a life. Um, so I've got some time to share. First Corinthians. But be honest with you, they, they beat it. Anybody I've ever preached to in my life. There, there's a hunger there. And literally, I think I preached, I don't know, Mark, was it two hours or hour and a half? Hour and a half. And then they asked another hour and a half of questions, hard questions. I'm like, oh, sometimes I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I did a little, a day, but I don't know. <laughs> um, First Corinthians chapter three. This is a wonderful passage. It talks about, you know, Paul is... Um, planting Apollos is water and the difference between the two is when you plant something it's never been exposed you've never been exposed to it so they're, they're what is called the unreached people group right people who've never heard the gospel that group of people have when someone goes and plants the word preach the gospel it's been planted for the first time now if a person has heard the gospel it's been watered so if you've heard the truth for the first time, that it's been planted. And if you heard it again and again and again and again, it's been watered. Did y'all know that? Well, if not, you do now, right? <laughs> and let me just give you something, and this is controversial, but it doesn't matter. You know, I don't really care about those things right now. I'm so free. Um, real apostles, real apostles. Everybody wants to be an apostle today, right? It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. The scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians, a real apostle, number one, will see, have seen Jesus. Hmm, did y'all know that? There's some type of encounter with the Lord that you, they have seen Jesus. Two, real apostles, they go to unreached people's groups. Most apostles that we see today are not real apostles. I'm just going to let you know, they're not real apostles. They may be ministers, they may be prophets, they may be um, minister, um, pastors, but real apostles, they go to areas that have never heard the gospel and they plant in areas where the gospel is not known. So we see real apostolic ministry, this is not in my notes, but real apostolic ministry on the mission field. Real true apostles are people who go into areas that's never heard Jesus, heard about God, don't know who God is, and they are planting churches and works in those areas. What we have is what people call apostles is they go and they have people and other pastors submitting under them. That's not apostleship. That is a human, man-focused, man-driven thing. I don't know why I said that, but it's out there. So don't be deceived by people. And then real apostles have the working of miracles. They can flow in and out of different gifts. Because why? When you're going to unreached people group, you need signs and wonders. Come on. You need, to, you need the ministry gifts or you need the gifts of the spirit to validate your apostleship. 
And you need that to do the work. Apostle can evangelize. So they go and evangelize the people. Then they go and set up a church that governments and they pastor the people. And then they um, appoint another pastor or pastors to oversee that work. And they go into the next work. Isn't that a little bit different? A lot different than today. People are into titles. But the titles, they can say a bishop, a title, an apostle, and prophet. But if you don't have the fruit or you don't have the graces or the gifts or the callings of God or, or the ministry or, or, or the gifts of the spirit to, to accommodate. You know, we have how many ministry gifts? No, five. Five ministry gifts. We have nine gifts of the spirit and five ministry gifts. Those ministry, spirit, ministry gifts are accommodated with the nine gifts of the Spirit. They validate that calling. So a prophet is a person who not prophesies, because you can have the simple gift of prophecy and not be a prophet. A prophet has a, it has, they have an overwhelming manifestation of the gifts of word of wisdom, dealing with the future, word of knowledge, Tongues and interpretation and prophecy. They have those gifts part of an evangelist. A true evangelist has the gifts of healings and the working of miracles. How do you know that? What scripture you have, Pastor Dwayne? In Acts, it talks about how Philip, the evangelist, went down to a certain city and he preached Christ. The number one evangelist message is Christ. They're going to preach about the new birth and being born again. They, they, that's all they're about. They're not going from church to church calling themselves evangelists. Their ministry is outside of the local assembly, and they're doing outreaches, and they're doing um, open-air meetings and tent revival, whatever you want to call it, and they're trying to get people born again. They're not trying to get speaking engagements from church to church. And guess what God accommodates or what gifts accommodate that ministry gift? It's the gifts of healings and working of miracles. Philip, he went down, he preached Christ. There were lame people. He, you know, he ministered to them and so forth. And so we can go on and talk and we'll talk about that in the days ahead. The different ministries, but they have the different gifts of the spirit and manifestation to validate their calling. Mm, that's some good preaching, man. Amen. First Corinthians chapter three. Let's look at verse 10. And according to the grace of God given to me. So if you're called and, and, and all of us are called to some type of ministry, we have a grace to function in that ministry. Last night, I stepped into a greater level of the ministry of the teacher that I've ever stepped into my life. I think that was the best I've ever taught in my life. And I had supernatural manifestation and I minister prophetically. Not, when I say prophetically, I didn't put, call somebody out and prophesy to them. But I prophesied in my teaching. The spirit of, 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 of prophecy was upon me and I began to get supernatural divine utterance and understanding enter into the hearts of the mind. And I, I told Mark this the other day. I mean, yesterday I said, I believe that the lives 10, 15, 20 years from now, the fruit of last night will still be at work. And it's going to echo in eternity. I talked about some marriage. I talked about some things that, and, and I, I was, my wife's like, you sure they're going to invite you back? I mean, because I went hard against, um, I talked about how we worship prophecies. 
and we worship signs and wonders. You know I believe God for the impossible. But if you focus your whole getting a word or prophesying, that the highest gift is not prophecy. It's not like, well, or because somebody hears from God doesn't mean that they're spiritual. And I told Courtney this, this morning, and I was so mad. I said, the problem is not hear from God. The problem is obeying God. Everybody, anybody can hear from God. I had a friend um, at Enterprise, and he prophesied to me. Don't, he doesn't know Jesus. He's not born again. He just loves Dunny McClurkin and cries when he hears, we fall down. <laughs> and he said, the Lord is telling me to tell you, you need to go and work for your church full time. Quit this job. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's not born again. And yet God used him. How many know that the ultimate goal is not for God to use us? He can use anybody, anything. Look at the donkey, right? <laughs> There's a lot of donkeys. But how many of us want to know him? That, that's, that's the goal. To be used is wonderful, but to know him is another level. Amen. Let's take a look at this. According to the grace of God given to me like a master builder, and an apostle is a master builder. I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. So as an apostle, true apostles, they lay a foundation. That means there was something that wasn't there before. They're laying the foundation of the gospel. They're, they're, they're making sure they're born again, and they're making sure that the, the structure is set up for a pastor to come in and to shepherd the people. So apostles are, are church planners. Apostles are, 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 are men and women who, who, who have been called to, to, um, to lay down a foundation that was never there. Let's continue. According to the grace of God given to me like a ma skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. See, we have been laid a foundation. The apostles laid the foundations for us. And we build upon it. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if other people are laying a foundation outside of Jesus Christ, they're tampering with something that God is going to deal with. We got to make sure that we're laying a foundation of Christ. Are we building KLM on, on personality? Are we building KLM on programs? Are we building KLM? What are we building upon? If it's not Jesus Christ, then we may as well go home, sleep in on Sunday morning, and enjoy the games. Verse 12. Now, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by what? Fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Fire. So our works are going to be tested by the fire of God. We cry out, fire, send your fire. You, do you really want the fire of God? The fire of God will test what's in your life that is not like him. Will test everything that's in your life. And what comes out of that fire is what's going to give him glory. And the work that we're building on, our lives on, 
is going to be tested. You're going to be, your works are going to be tested by the fire of God. And based on the enduring power of your work, you're going to be rewarded. That's sobering, isn't it? So not everyone's called to be a preacher, a pastor, a minister, a God, you know. So, so what is this work? We'll talk about good works in the days ahead. So God calls us to good works. And so you got to make sure your works are being built upon that foundation and that it endures the fire of God. That day is coming when God's going to test our works. And if it doesn't endure that fire, we're going to lose and we're going to suffer much. But we ourselves will be saved. The world is going to stand before the white, white throne judgments of God. And the believer is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The unbeliever will be thrown into the lake of fire and the believer will be rewarded or not rewarded based on what he or she did in this life. Hmm. Let's go back to Matthew 7. The white, the white throne, white judgment throne of God will um, they, it's gonna, that's where unbelievers stand before God is the judgment seat of Christ Matthew 7 go back to Matthew 7 Matthew chapter 7 verse 22 and on that day many will say to me Lord Lord how many? Many. So many will say, and guess what they're going to say? Did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So there's a group of people. Thank you. There's a group of people who are going to stand before the Lord. And they're going to say, I did all these things. And Jesus never denied that they didn't do it in those things. You do you understand that people can cast demons out in Jesus' name and not be born again? You know, people can actually preach the gospel, preach, a gospel, preach the gospel to individuals, and they get born again. I, I, I kind of sense you don't believe that. Go to Philippians chapter 1 real quick. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense. Y'all see that, right? Or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You, a person can preach Christ out of pretense and never experience what they're preaching, and yet if it's God's word, God will still bless it and save people. Come on. people. So in that day, there are many who is going to say, Lord, did I not cast demons out? Let me tell you a little story. I shared it a while back. Um, I have a friend. His name is Drew, and he's um, from the Philippines. And his dad is a witch doctor. And his mom also was demon possessed and she would talk in um, a, a man's voice. And sometimes if there was a glass across the, um, on the table, he was like, come. And the glass. 
and he, he's a witch doctor. He, he does a lot of um, witchcraft and so forth. And, and so one day, um, Drew, Drew was having, if I'm giving the story right, he was having problems sleeping and, and there was spirits um, harassing him in his sleep. And so he ran to his Mormon's friend's house. And the Mormon's, the Mo his friend, who's a Mormon, said to him, um, when that happens to you, call on the name of Jesus. Now, you know, Mormons are not born again. And so Drew called on the name of Jesus, not been born again, and those demons stopped messing with him. And then I have a couple, I had a couple of students who are Joe witnesses, and they, um, they're from the continent Africa, and they said that there's a group of people that if they say to you, say, you will not go home tonight, you will wander for 24 hours. And they say, oh, you will shrink tonight. Or you will die tonight. And whatever they pronounce upon the individual, that's what would happen. And so, so I asked them, I said, what do y'all do? He said, we don't believe in that. We believe that it exists, but it doesn't affect us. We don't have faith that that will affect us. And we use the name of Jesus. This is your witnesses now. We use the name of Jesus and, and nothing happens to us. If unbelievers can have faith in that name, what, what about us? So, so you, can, you can do some wonders in Jesus' name and not be born again. You can make demons leave and not be born again. So don't be moved by signs and wonders. Are you with me? The Antichrist, the son of perdition, as Thessalonians says, um, we'll have some signs and wonders. And just because somebody prophesies to you doesn't mean that there's two, there's two doors to the supernatural. One door is through God and the other is through Satan. And just because there is something supernaturally happening doesn't mean that it's God. Don't be deceived in believing because something is it's got your attention that it's God. If somebody prophesies to you about something and it's real, doesn't mean that it's God. And don't believe, God doesn't bless, a God does not approve personalities. He approves his word. He confirms his word. So you can have a personality that may be preaching truth, that may be flowing in gifts, and if their lives doesn't line up, doesn't mean that God is approving their lifestyle. He confirms his word, not personalities. And that, that's enough for you to live off for the rest of your life. So you can have somebody really highly anointed and their doctrine be doc, jump, jacked up and God can use them. It's, the goal is not to be used by God. The goal is to know God. And out of our knowing God, we'll do great exploits. Amen. Amen. So you can be involved in, in ministry and even attend a church uh, and still not know the Lord. Salvation isn't something to be played with. You need to examine your heart to see whether or not you are born again. Now, let me talk about this. We're saved from something. We're saved, as Matthew says, Matthew chapter one, we're saved from our sins. Um, Romans five talks about we're saved from the wrath to come. His life saved our life. Come on. <laughs> uh, we're saved from from judgment and punishment. We're saved from dead works. We're saved, I like to say, from ourselves. We're saved from spiritual death. 
And but not only we're we saved from something, but we're saved to something. Come on. We're saved from dead works to good works. We're saved from right from from um, a place of uh, of sin, a state of sin to the to the state of righteousness. We're saved from Satan to Jesus. So God saves us from something to something. And we're saved from God's wrath to God's grace. Mm. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. So, but I don't want you to get critical about people who call themselves apostles or other names. Just pray for them. Why they call themselves apostles? They ain't no apostles. <laughs> you and I know that, but that, I, that wasn't given to you so you can criticize. It's so that you can know the real from the fake, so you can pray. Pray that that person will fall in line with God's plan for their lives. I think it, it is a dangerous thing to stand in another person's office. If God has not called you to that office, don't stand in it. The Bible tells us in James chapter 3, um, you know, not all of us should be teachers because the one who teaches will have a greater judgment and greater responsibility placed upon them. And they are responsible for what is before God. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So at one point we were dead, spiritually dead. We were dead men and women walking. I don't know about you. I like the walking dead. All right. Don't judge me. <laughs> There's a bunch of people who are walking dead today. They're not born again. They're not alive to God. They they're just dead. Now, this is talking about spiritual death, not physical death. Now, spiritual death is a whole lot is a whole lot worse than physical death. Physical death. There's three types of deaths that the Bible speak of It's is spiritual death, physical death and the second death. Thank God for those who are born again will not participate in the third one, the physical, I mean, the second death. Second death is, is dealing with God's final judgment and place of the lake of fire. You know that hell is just a holding pattern, right? It's just a holding place. Hell is not for, because you say, you're going to die, go to hell forever. That is not true. Hell is only temporary until the, until the day of judgment. And everything that is in hell, this is in the book of Revelation, everybody who's in hell will be, um, will come up and stand before God and God will judge them based on what they did in this life and whether or not they received the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And God will pronounce to them a, a, a final judgment and they will be thrown into the lake of fire. So stop saying that God doesn't throw people into hell. He does. We don't know God if you think that. I know a lot of time people say God doesn't throw people into hell. People make a decision to go to hell. No, God throws them into hell because they have rejected his sacrifice. Again, we want to magnify the love of God, but we don't want to talk about the judgment of God, the ju that he's judged. He, the same God that is love, is a, he's a God of judgment. He will judge you. <laughs> he, will cause, he will allow you to be hungry to motivate you to work. He says, don't feed a person who won't work. Kick him out. Or, or in other words, don't feed them. Let the hunger motivate them to work. God kicked Adam. So listen, for parents, 
You got some kids who won't obey you, older kids. <laughs> you can kick them out the house. Get out. You're not going to pay attention. You're not going to follow my rules. Get out. Well, where's that in the Bible? Well, God kicked Adam and Eve out of his garden. They disobeyed. Oh, you out. I love you. God bless you. Now you're going to have to work <laughs> harder. Verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. Notice this, that at one point we were dead. At one point we followed the course of this world. There are still Christians, some Christians who are following the course of this world. And the, they're following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So there is a um, there is a spirit that is upon those who are in disobedience. And the Bible says in first John chapter five, verse 19, that the entire world lies in darkness. You understand that the way this world is. And let me just say this. God is not in control of this world. That's a kind of put. OK, you will have to justify that. Listen, God is not about causing earthquakes, fires in California. He's not about starving children, killing babies, killing mothers and fathers. God is not causing molestation. God is not in business of, of destroying his creation. What happened was Satan. The Bible says in Second Corinthians, chapter four, that Satan is the God liturgy of this world. Let's go over there. Second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four. Let's look at verse three and four. And even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is hidden and veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, what the what? I can't hear you. The God of this world has what? The minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So Satan blinds people. You, you know, people talk about spiritual warfare and, oh, we're going to tear down Satan's kingdom. If you want to do some real spiritual warfare, preach the gospel. You, make, you become a threat to the enemy because now you're declaring the very thing that has, uh, you're exposing darkness when you proclaim the gospel. So Satan is the God of this world. He's the ruler of the world. Did you know that? So stop saying that God is the ruler of the world. And this is where the Spirit of the Lord said to me, and, and, and when I say he said to me, he spoke to me on the inside. I didn't hear the audible voice. I have a vision. But in my spirit, he says, a better way of saying that I'm not in control of this world is to say that I'm not in control of this system. I thought that was good. So God is not the God of the world system. Because <laughs> sometimes if you say God is not the God of the world, then people say, well, you don't believe that God is in control? Not in the sense that he's running things. He's a, he has everything under control, but he's not the one that's causing things to happen in this world. Sickness, disease, and so forth. He's not causing tornadoes. And Jesus, he, Jesus spoke against storms. So if, if that's the case, Jesus was coming against God's will. Y'all understand that, right? 
And so, so when you say, well, God, you know, even on our insurance policies, they said the act of God, the act of God. Well, no, it's not an act of God. It's the, it's the act of because of disobedience, because Adam disobeyed God. And now the world is um, groaning. Romans 8. That's why you have earthquakes. That's why you have storms and different stuff. Not because God is sending a storm to judge America, but it's, it's, it's the result of Adam's disobedience that the world is suffering. So, so in one sense of the word, now listen to me very carefully before you take it another direction. Adam was the God of this world. Let that settle on you. If you can believe that Satan is the God of this world, surely you can believe that Adam at one point was the ruler of this world. And when we say God, we're not talking about deity. We're talking about ruler. Are y'all with me? Yes or no? Shake your head no if you're not with me. So Adam ruled the world. He was commissioned. And so when Adam disobeyed God, he forfeited his godship or his rulership to Satan. That's how Satan became the God of this world. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, we know that we are from who? God. And the whole world lies in the power of who? The evil one. So the world is under the influence of Satan. Do you see this? Look around all the effects of Satan. Satan is the one. So don't blame God for what Satan is doing. And even in the church, the people of God have blamed, they have blamed God for what Satan is doing. When a loved one dies, we say, God took them. No, he didn't. There's only two people he took. Well, actually one, and that's Enoch. For Enoch was not for God took him. And for believers, when we die, we go to be with the Lord. The Lord doesn't come and take us. It's not like he needed another angel. We, come on, let's, let's think through this. God doesn't take people from their family, especially young children. Satan is a thief, according to John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So don't blame God for the work of Satan. Somebody's sick. Do you know that we, we, we don't want to own the fact that there is an enemy and there are some bad decisions that we make. My uncle made a bad decision by not taking his medicine. Therefore, he saw an early grave. First Corinthians chapter 11 talks about how if you don't rightly discern the Lord's body, that's why many are sick and die. Let's go over there. First Corinthians 11. So God does not, let me say this, God does not have a specific time <laughs> for you to die. I'm going to show you this. This is not, none of this is in my notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's look at verse 29 or 26, 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy what? 
manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are what? Weak and ill, and some have so if you don't rightly discern the Lord's body, you can die. Now, don't be afraid to take communion next time we take it. <laughs> that is, it isn't it in the scripture. Now, Proverbs 4 talks about there's certain things you can do to add to your years. Let's go to that real quick. Proverbs 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, actually, it's Proverbs 3, my fault. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For what? Length of days and years of life and peace, they will what? Add to you. And so there are certain things you can do by obeying God and listening to God and listening to wisdom, listening to peace, that God will add years to your life. So that sounds like a lot like that we have more control over the length of our days than we think we do. Are you with me? Let me give you one more scripture with this, and I'm going to call it a day maybe. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, let's go to verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, to die is what? So if a person who's a believer dies, they are actually gaining. All right, let's go. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Notice that he's departing. He has a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Everybody say far better. Far better. But to remain in the flesh is, not is more necessary on your account. Verse 25 is where I want to get to. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And so here Paul made a decision. He says, I'm in a betwitch. I'm in a dilemma. I'm in a conflict. I want to stay, but yet I want to go. If I go, I'm, I'm gaining. It's far better. But if I stay, I have an opportunity to have more fruit among you. And then he says in the, verse 26, I am convinced, I'm persuaded that I'm going to stay. I'm going to remain with you so that you, your faith can have more progress. And so I'm telling you, listen to me, I'm telling you that you have a decision. to. You have, a, you have um, more ownership of when you die than, than you think you do. Psalm 91.16 says, with long life, I will satisfy him. And so God wants to satisfy you. You can live as long as you want to live. Some people choose to die. And people in the world have made decisions to live. You see survivors of cancer. They have what is called a fighting spirit. And they say, I'm going to win. I'm going to beat this. And these are people just who are not even born again. 
Go back to Ephesians 2. <laughs> so Satan is the God of this world, and Satan is running the world, and the whole world is in darkness even now. Let's look at verse 3, Ephesians 2, verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So we're not to carry out the desires of our bodies or our minds. You're not to do everything that's on your mind. You're not to do everything that you feel. There's some Christians who feel like doing this or feel like cussing or feel like quitting, feel like not praying. You're not to be ruled by your feelings. We're to be ruled by our faith. Next one. Who by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. Everybody say, but God. God's big but. Being rich in mercy because of his great love, the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been what? Saved. Saved and raised up with him and seated with him. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, everybody say the coming ages, he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And I believe for the first billion something years, once we get into eternity, we're going to be like, ah, 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 wow, wow, wow. I mean, that's going to be our reaction because in the ages, in the ages, everybody say ages. In the ages to come, God's going to continue to show us his goodness and his mercy that is in Christ Jesus. And we're just going to be dumbfounded. Wow. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, just we're going to constantly be learning about God. They say we only learn, we only use 10 percent of our brain. Right. That's what they say. Right. And do you know that that 90 percent I'm convinced is reserved for God and that we're going to use the rest of our brain when we go into eternity. You do understand you're going to have a mind when I say brain. I'm talking about your mind. Your mind is not something that you see. Your, you know, your mind is, it uses your brain to, to, do, to do what it's do, right? Um, and so your mind is going to be used to full capacity when it's dealing with God. God is going to reveal, constantly revealing stuff to us. And revealing our, the kindness and the love and, and the graces of God. We're going to be in forever in a, a state of allness. Because he's going to continue to reveal to us. See, Jesus didn't only die for here and now, but he purchased for the world to come. So he, he purchased a whole new world. Disney got it right a little bit. There's a whole nother world that Jesus died and purchased for. And he died and he purchased. He also, in Ephesians 3, talks about he's creating a new humanity in Christ. God the Father is creating a new group of people in Christ. He's displeased with, displeased with the people that have came, come through Adam because of sin. But in Christ, he's creating a new society for a new world. That's good news. Let's continue. Almost finished. For by grace, verse 8, for by grace you have been what? Saved through what? So what grace has accomplished in Christ, faith obtains it. God has done a lot by grace. He saved us by grace. So when we say people get saved, we're, we're actually saying that they just received salvation. God has already provided salvation in Christ. 
Our job is to get people to believe so they can receive salvation. So by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Say, I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's some good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. There's some good, we are his workmanship. God created us, notice this, he didn't create us just in general, yeah, he did, but he created us in Christ. We are his workmanship created in Christ. Let's let that ring in your heart. We are his workmanship created in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Come on. God made something that never existed before. Tony got it wrong. Don't make us over again. Make us brand new. Make us brand new. Something that never existed before. Don't improve on, on the old, but make something new. Come on. Make me over again. As a Christian, you don't need to be made over again. You are brand new if you're a Christian. You need a renewed mind. You need a new mind. Come on. Amen. Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So God wants us to work. We have some works that he has prepared for us before the foundation of the world, and we need to work. Everybody say, I am... His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God wants us to work. He wants us to, to do some things. So created, created in Christ, we are brand new creations. We are, we are something that, we're, one translation says we are new species, something that never existed before. That's who we are. Uh, you don't change from, um, you don't change your, your you know, if you, if you were bald-headed before you got saved, you're bald-headed after you get saved. You know that, right? <laughs> if you had yellow teeth before you got saved, you have yellow teeth now. There's nothing physically that took place. It's spiritually. You become something that never existed before. So this gospel of self-improvement is not the gospel. It's not a better version of yourself that God is after. Let me just say this. You can get a car without Jesus. You can become a millionaire without Jesus. You can be successful without Jesus. What are you going to tell someone, the owner of Amazon, hey, God wants to prosper you? There's nothing you can say from that standpoint to try to get them to come to Christ. So we need to stop going after people's felt needs and going after their spiritual needs. And we need to show them their need for Christ. D.L. Moody, Hughley said it well. He coined the phrase, you need Jesus. Well, we all need Jesus. We have to help people to see their need for Jesus. They have to see that they're not innocent. They're not okay. You're not okay. 
That's the gospel. The gospel points to us. The cross says to us that we are not okay. We are sinful creatures and there's nothing that dwells in us that is right and holy. There's something that God hates in us. And that's the sin nature. And until we get people to see that, they'll never truly come to salvation. It's not just saying a prayer for Jesus to make your life better. <laughs> that, that, that went over real well. <laughs> Motivational preaching doesn't save people. It just motivates them to have their business. You can listen to Jim Rohn day in, day out, and, and, and Darren Hardy, and, and do well without Jesus. So what's the, what's the gospel being pre preached? You know, you, you, can, you can have what you say. You, yeah, yeah, you know I'm a big confession man. But it's more to the Bible than faith and confessions. It's about knowing God. It's about realizing we need Jesus daily. We need, he was our substitute. Notice when we read the scripture in Ephesians, the beginning part of two, it talks about um, um, in Christ or in him, we, we've been raised up. And with him, we're seated together with him in heavenly places. Jesus is our substitute. He is the last Adam. He, he showed us the way to be in order to know the father. The fruit of your salvation. So these are, let's talk about seven indicators real quick. Seven ind indicators that you're born again. How do you know that you're born again? I'm going to give it to you and then we'll trust that you'll get it sometime. The first one we talked about was doing the will of God. If you do God's will, you are born again. You have it in you doing the will. So the first indicator is the execution of God's will. It's not in order. It's the execution of God's will. The second indicator is the confession of the mouth. The confession of the mouth. What you say about Jesus. Remember, it says Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord. Notice it's not just Jesus is my Lord, but Jesus is Lord, declaring his lordship. And Philippians 2 talks about that every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God gets glory every time we confess the lordship of Jesus. And again, you cannot make him your savior, not your Lord. He's Lord and savior. Don't don't separate that. And don't let anybody tell you differently. He can save you, but he, have you made him your Lord? No, he's Lord and Savior. There's no separation. It's, it's impossible to separate that. That he can't be your Savior, not your Lord. He can't be your Lord without saving you. Uh, and so the confession of the mouth, confession for man confess, believes unto righteousness, and confession is made unto what? Salvation. So your confession of your mouth is an indicator that you're saved. So you, there are no Christians who are silent Christians and not declaring their Lord, the lordship of Jesus. Bible says in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 to 33 says that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my heavenly father and holy angels. So your confession must be before men that Jesus is Lord. Are you with me? 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that no one can confess that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. 
and First John says, whosoever denies the Father in the Son is a liar. And we know from Revelation, all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire. So confession means to agree with God. You agree that Jesus is Lord. You agree that your sin is, has offended him. You agree that God raised him from the dead, the confession of the mouth. So that's indicator number two. Number, indicator number three is faith in Christ and repentance from sin. Faith in Christ and repentance from sin. So there is an evidence of faith in your heart. There's a, a living faith. And the word re repentance simply means the turning away, doing a 180. So it's not just crying and coming to an altar. It's actually, by the grace of God, turning away from that sin. The next one is the witness of the Spirit. The witness of the Spirit. Spirit God witness to you, lets you know that you're born again. Do you know that I got born again at four and never doubted my salvation? If you doubt your salvation, that might be an indicator that you're not born again. And let me clarify. You can have doubt in your mind, but assurance in your heart. Because if you get saved and you go and you mess up the next day, the devil said you're not really saved. But your heart says differently because you have the witness of the spirit. Romans 8 verses 14 through 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. So God witnessed to you and let you know that you're a child of God. If you don't have that witness, you're not born again. Next one is change of heart. Ezekiel talks about God gives us a heart a flesh for a heart of stone. He does surgery. So when you get born again, God does surgery in your heart. He gives you a brand new heart. Isn't that amazing? You don't have the same heart. So you can't quote the scripture, the heart is wicked. <laughs> My heart isn't because Jesus gave me a brand new heart. I have a new nature and that nature rules me. That nature, see, either you're going to walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh. And do you know that you, you can be governed by your flesh by allowing your spirit not to dominate you? Your spirit should dominate you. The walk of the spirit and the walk of the flesh. The works of the flesh is, do you know witchcraft is part of the works of the flesh? So when somebody's doing witchcraft, it doesn't necessarily mean that they need a demon cast out. They need to stop it. Stop. I mean, okay, don't be afraid of witchcraft. Okay, whatever. I remember one time I was teaching, a girl was doing witchcraft while I was teaching. She was casting spells. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> She's casting spells. Like, whatever. <laughs> you ain't going to do nothing to me. You can't curse what God has blessed. That's what the word says, Old Testament. <laughs> I mean, don't be afraid of witches. One time, me and Pastor Brad, we went and um, he's not a pastor anymore, but um, Brad, he, we went to go and we was ministering to a youth facility home, and, and um, there was a guy who was a, a devil worshiper. And he had a, um, Satan's Bible, and he had, like, the, the Pentagon or whatever, the, the little sign. And um, so he came to say, I didn't know this. <laughs> and so I'm preaching about Jesus getting born again. And he got born again. And guess what happened? He went back, and he tore up his Satan Bible, and life was totally changed. He, he was not the same after that. I didn't take him through no series of deliverance. I think we make things harder than what it is. Wow. Come on now. 
I came up in a deliverance church, and every Sunday they had deliverance service and manifestation. And no, no, no. Just stop it. Like, like really, it is, you know, and I'm not saying that Christians can't have an evil spirit oppressing them, but I think we, we, we magnify that as if it's something. Else. Then you have people just generational curses. Never saw Jesus go around breaking generational curses. Be born again. What my daddy did is not affecting me. Come on. My daddy was rolling stone. Got three sons with three different women. Was involved in drugs. Never took drugs in my life. I did smoke a cigarette when I was four, but that was it. That, that was before I got saved. That's right. <laughs> so, so, so don't worry about your past. Don't, don't get caught up in, I got to go back in my past. You know, there's Christians who do that. I got to go back and I got to think through and see. No, don't do that. Don't, the Bible tells us forget those things which are behind. The only thing you need to remember is the cross. That's your past. It's covered. It's blood. The blood. The blood took care of the past. All things are new. Old things are passed away. Curses are passed away. Don't get caught up in trying to get curses and breaking curses. I'm not saying that a Christian can't have a curse, but I am saying that it's a lot less than what most people believe. What it is is a generational pattern and not a generational curse. They just recycling what they saw their mom and dad do. Come on. And we magnify that as if, you know, those people break, breaking the curses and then they go back and do the same thing. So is the curse broken or what? Come on. Oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm telling you, we, we got to go out. We got to teach people the truth and teach them who they are in Christ. They're a brand new creation. And so all curses on the old man, they're destroyed because now that, that's, that's no longer you. What you used to do. You got a new lineage. You got God's DNA inside of your spirit. You are born of his spirit. We're born again. Come on. <laughs> no, y'all making me preach up in here. <laughs> Change of heart. God gives us, uh, he puts his law in our hearts. There's, a, there's something in Romans 2 talks about how God places his heart in the hearts of, uh, of, of Gentiles. He changes the heart. There was a drug dealer who, who got born again. He was living with his um, girlfriend, got born again. Nobody told him to leave his girlfriend and, and stop selling drugs, but he, he packed up his thing. He says, I got to go. I got to go live with my mama. At 34 years old, he went back and lived with his mama and, and stayed in the same room that he grew up in and started working at McDonald's. Don't you know that that's a fruit of his salvation? Gave up the drug deal. See, there should not be no struggle. I'm still in and out. There's something wrong with our presentation because really we're not preaching the gospel. When people get born again, God changes something on the inside of them. Now, I'm not saying that you become perfect by no means, but there's something different about you on the inside. And that you have a new master, a new Lord and new laws working in you. God began to work his word in you, and you will have a greater, a, a new desire. The next one, real quick, is eternal life. God gives you eternal life. John chapter 17, verse 3. Eternal life, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we get eternal life. And last but not least is the love of God. God gives us his love. Amen. The Bible says in Romans 5 that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so God gives us his love. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And it's a cluster of fruit. It's really one fruit in which all the others manifest. So love is the fruit and then all the other fruits hang off that love. The fruit of the 
recreated spirit. It's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not have fruit. I know in all my favorite commentaries, they say the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the recreated spirit. Galatians 5 compares the works of the flesh to the, to the fruit of the recreated human spirit. <laughs> let's, let's go to Galatians 5 real quick so you can see this. Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 18. Oh, let's start with verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Now, I know in the ESV it has a, the word Spirit capitalized. It's really talking about the recreated Spirit. Your flesh is not going to war against the Holy Spirit. The flesh against the Spirit is, is comparing the fleshly nature in the recreated Spirit. Let's go on. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. The Holy Spirit is not necessarily opposed to your flesh. It's, not, it's talking about your recreated Spirit. Let's take a look at this. It says, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, this leading, leading of the Spirit is not the leading of the Holy Spirit. Read it in context. It is the leading of the human, new created, a recreated Spirit. We're, how many know that your Spirit is supposed to be ruling you? Because the Spirit is part of you that is made in the image of God. Verse 19, this may be new to you. That's why I'm planning. And when you hear it again, you'll be watered. And as you study, you'll be watered again, and God will give the increase. This may be new to you because I know we are used to sin. the Holy Spirit versus the flesh. It's not so. Verse 19, think about the nature of God. The Holy Spirit will overpower your flesh. 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, and it begins, sexual immorality, right? So when people are dealing with sexual immorality, it doesn't always mean that you got to deal with a demon. Come on. Casting the spirit of fornicator, fornication out. Just stop it. Stop fornicating. It's not that deep. We make it deeper than what it really is. It's just like, stop it. That's the work of the flesh. Let's continue. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Oh, wow, that's, that's witchcraft, right? Witchcraft is a work of the flesh. So stop it. Stop trying to control people. Voodoo dolls. Stop it. It's just like you, you, you're working in the flesh. Hmm. And it goes on and talks about jealousy, strife, drunkenness, orgies. So you mean tell me somebody who, who, who are experiencing orgies can get born again? That's a work of the flesh. Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ooh, that's pretty weighty. weighty. But, okay, so notice he presented the works of the flesh. Let's continue. But the fruit of the Spirit... Hmm. Is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things are no, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and, and desires. If we walk by the Spirit, let us keep and step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Notice this: the work, of the the works of the flesh. And then the fruit of the Spirit is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit because the word Spirit is pneuma and there's, it's, you can only translate it in the context. Context is king. It tells us what it's about. It's not talking about the works of the, of, the, of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the new created Spirit. That's why you can, be, you can follow that. Real quick, Romans 8, Romans 7 talks about, Paul says, if I, 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 I you know, I'm good is present, I won't do good and so forth. And then in Romans 8, he talks about the Spirit. Part of Romans 8 is not dealing with the Holy Spirit, it's dealing with the human spirit, the recreated human spirit. And when you begin to read it like that, because a lot of times it'll, it'll say, when it's the Holy Spirit, is the, the, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit from the Father, the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? It, it's very clear in what Spirit is talking about. But when it's talking about the Spirit, the human Spirit, sometimes it uses the Spirit of God or the Spirit from God and so forth. This is, check it out. The fruit of the recreated spirit is love. The work of the flesh or the works of the flesh are included, such, 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 such. It's comparing the two. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity as we shared your word. Pray that you'll give your people understanding. May they grow in the fruit of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His Word. God bless you.